Hello, and welcome to the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. This is podcast number 27, the first of 2020. I want to wish a happy new year to all of my listeners. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Would love to hear your feedback on the content you get here, as well as ideas for future podcasts. This podcast was something I've been planning for quite some time, but an event that just took place within the last 24 hours has made it a little more urgent, I guess you could use that word. I'm referring, of course, to the killing of the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, General Qasem Soleimani, in an area in a U.S. airstrike in Baghdad on January the 2nd, January the 3rd. And I want to talk about the implications for what this means for terrorism, as this is a podcast on terrorism. Before I go into my thoughts and my perspective on what this all means, I do want to give you a little bit of background so that you can see where I'm coming from, what contributions I can make to this particular discussion, and whether or not my views are worth listening to in the first place. So before I became a terrorism analyst with the Canadian government, I was actually an Iranian analyst. Way back in 1985, I was working for Communication Security Establishment, Canada Signals Intelligence Organization. I had uh, taught myself Farsi, the language spoken in Iran, and become essentially CSE, the acronym for Communication Security Establishment. I became their primary Farsi linguist, a position that I held for 15 years, from 1985 to 2000, before I moved on to CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, originally on secondment from CSE, and CSIS had brought me over as a strategic analyst on Iran. That, of course, morphed after 9-11, and I became a bit of a dual-hatted person looking at Iran and on Islamist extremism before it became quite apparent that the Islamist extremism file was a lot busier and, from the Canadian government's perspective, a lot more important given, of course, 9-11, given the terrorist plots that we were investigating and helping to foil along with the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, in the 2000s. So full disclosure, I was an Iranian analyst, a Farsi linguist for 20 years, but I have not followed Iran nearly as closely since 2005. So there is a 15-year gap there. I don't want to try and hide that fact. Uh, I do look at Iran from a personal interest perspective, but not from a professional analytic perspective, at least not for the past 15 years. Having said that, there's a lot about what happened to the uh, head of the IRGC, which really worries me. Let's get a few things out right from the get-go. I am not necessarily against the killing of terrorists. I certainly supported the special operations assassination of Osama bin Laden back in 2011. I thought that was a really good use of the military. Yeah, for those who are interested in on my larger views on the military in the so-called war on terrorism, a term I'm going to refer back to several times today, you can check out my book, An End to the War on Terrorism, that came out in 2018. So I'm not saying that the strike itself was necessarily problematic, but there are several aspects of it that were. First and foremost, based on what I've read from open source, uh, General Soleimani was near Baghdad International Airport, meaning that the airstrike took place near an international airport. Look, I'm not a military expert, I'm not an airstrike expert, I'm not a munitions expert, but am I the only one that has a problem with a foreign military ordering, planning, 
directing and carrying out a missile strike on an international airport. I know these airstrikes are getting more accurate as time goes by with GPS and all the computer wizardry that goes into to carrying them out. But it was not possible that civilians could have been killed in that airstrike as well. We know from data that's gathered by human rights organizations and from people on the ground in a variety of countries around the world that a lot of civilians have in fact been killed in airstrikes. So did the U.S. not think this was a possibility? That in its zeal to, to kill what it seemed or what it considered a major international terrorist, that it could in fact have taken innocent lives at the same time? Hmm, I wonder about that. The second thing, and this is what really bothers me about this strike, I'm not going to miss the general. A lot of people won't miss the general. He was obviously a very nasty figure. He was uh, a key element in Iran's ability to project power beyond its own geographical borders. He was somebody who was uh, omnipresent in Lebanon and Iraq, dealing with some fairly nasty characters in the region, such as Hezbollah. And the airstrike which took out the general was in retribution for an attack a rocket attack that, that killed an American contractor, I believe up in Kirkuk in the north of Iraq, which the Americans blamed on a uh, organization called uh, Qatab Hezbollah, which is uh, Iranian driven or Iranian supported. But to me, the airstrike, the killing of uh, Soleimani points to a much more fundamental problem with the American understanding of terrorism and the American way in which it's, it's conducting its counterterrorism operations. Let me go back a little bit. Let me go back to after 9-11. So of course, 9-11, catastrophic attack on an immense scale, which changed the world in many ways. I know that phrase is used an awful lot, but it really did change the world. That attack was carried out by 19 people, 15 of whom were Saudi nationals. Saudi nationals, not Iranians, Saudi nationals. And these Saudi nationals uh, were brought up in a society, i.e. Saudi Arabia, that has not just permitted, but promoted a vile, hateful interpretation of Islam for the better part of 250 years. So the people behind 9-11 were actually what we call Sunni Islamist extremists. They were terrorists whose ideology was Islam but a particular version of Islam, that is Sunni Islam, and a subset of Sunni Islam, which we call Wahhabi Islam. Wahhabism is the particular form of hateful Saudi Islam that, as I said, has been taught and perpetrated in the kingdom since the middle part of the 18th century. And yet, shortly after 9-11, then President George Bush came out with his infamous Axis of Evil speech. And in his Axis of Evil speech, he named three countries. North Korea. Well, okay, we get that. North Korea has been a pain in the butt for a very, very long time. Iraq and Iran. What do the two latter countries have in common? Well, Iraq was governed by Saddam Hussein, a brutal dictator whose death nobody misses. At least, Well, I suppose his supporters do, but the rest of the world doesn't. And Iran, of course, has been a thorn in the side, especially of the Americans since 1979, the Iranian Revolution, the overthrow of the Shah's regime. The Shah was a, a very important ally of the United States in the region. And of course, the embassy seizure and the hostage taking that lasted for 444 days. And probably more than anything else was the uh, nail in the coffin for President Carter's desires for re-election when Ronald Reagan won the 1980 election. But what do Iraq and Iran uh, have in common? They're both largely Shia states. 
Iran is a Shia theocracy. The government of Iran is run by Shia clerics. You all have all heard of Ayatollah Khamenei. He's the successor to Ayatollah Khomeini, who was the, the, the stern, uh, bearded figure that came to the world's attention in 79 with the hostage crisis. So Iran's a largely Shia Muslim country with a, a very small Sunni minority. Iraq is also a Shia majority country with a much larger Sunni minority, but still it's Shia dominant. So at the time when this axis of evil speech came out, my first thought was, uh, uh, WTF, why is, the, why is the United States, a few months after this catastrophic attack carried out by Sunni Islamist extremists, Sunni terrorists, focusing on two states that have nothing to do with it, i.e. they are Shia states. We all know that the allegations that Saddam Hussein harbored al-Qaeda were false. We knew that the allegations he had weapons of mass destruction were false. We knew that the links between Iraq and 9-11 were false, just as there, any rumors of a link between Iran and 9-11 were false. And yet the Americans decided that, you know, Iran is the boogeyman. Iran's the one we're going to have to try and clamp down on. And frankly, that led to the incredibly boneheaded decision to invade Iraq in 2003 by the Bush administration. Yes, again, it did take out Saddam Hussein, and I'm not shedding a tear over that, but it led to, and this is no exaggeration, the invasion of Iraq in 2003 led to the creation of ISIS, Islamic State in Iraq, in the, um, sorry, Islamic State, the terrorist group that has, you know, carried out innumerable attacks against innumerable people for a very long time and, and was so-called so defeated in 2019, according to President Donald Trump, but of course, no, that's not true. So here we have a military operation that I suppose eventually achieved its goal with the overthrow of the Saddam Hussein regime and yet led to a completely different result and that's the creation of a terrorist group and not just any terrorist group, a vile, heinous terrorist group that carried out some of the most disgusting attacks on people in Iraq and Syria and has continued to do so under its affiliates in dozens of countries around the world. So if you look back, you can ask a question, a very valid question. What was the point? What was the point of the evasion of 2003? Did it achieve more than it, than it, than it caused? Did it end up with a, a positive balance on the ledger, as, as, as we say? Did it, in fact, create more problems than it resolved? And I would answer that, I would answer that question with yes. In fact, where we are now in 20, early 2020 with the effects of Islamic State, with the continuation of the affiliates, with the pace of terrorism around the world, even if it has decreased, as the Institute for Economics and Peace showed us in its report late last year, uh, we hosted the uh, one of the authors of that report at the University of Ottawa in, in mid-December. But the fact is, is that in 2020, the single largest proponent or the single largest set of actors behind international terrorism are Sunni Islamist extremists. Al-Qaeda is still around. Islamic State is still around. Al-Shabaab is still around in Somalia. In fact, they just hijacked a bus in northeastern Kenya, killing three pastors and wounding several dozen. They carried attacks on a weekly basis. Just last week, they carried out a massive bombing in Mogadishu, car bombing that killed dozens and wounded hundreds. Boko Haram in Nigeria is still around. We have reports of what's happening in Libya. Those are Sunni Islamist terrorist fighters in Libya. We have the same thing in Afghanistan with the Taliban and the Islamic State in Khorasan, one of the more lethal Islamic State affiliates in the world. So what's the bottom line here? The bottom line is Sunni Islamist terrorism. That's our problem. 
not Shia Islamist terrorism. And I'm not saying that there are not Shia terrorists. There absolutely are Shia terrorists. Hezbollah is a Shia group in Lebanon, which is a terrorist group. There are militias. You use the term militias. I hate the term militias. I prefer, I prefer the term terrorists. There are Shia terrorist groups in Iraq that are carrying on attacks here and there. Iran is sponsoring many of these groups financially, with materiel, with military training, etc. So no, Iran is not a lily-white country. Iran is a problem. And Iranian activities are not helpful on an international scale. But Iran is not the kingpin of terror. There's just no way to get there. If you want to look at a country that has been most responsible for the sponsorship of terrorism in insofar as the ideology is concerned, you, you have no choice but to conclude that Saudi Arabia is the problem, not Iran. And yet Saudi Arabia is an American ally and Iran is not. The more I think about this, and as I said, I've been thinking about this podcast for a very long time. The assassination of Soleimani has just made it that more urgent as far as I'm concerned. I think the Americans have been getting it wrong for 40 years. I think the Americans have a bee in their bonnet over Iran. It stems from the loss of an ally in a critical part of the world, i.e. the Middle East, Asia. The Shah was a very important American friend for decades in that area of the world. They lost him in 79 with the revolution. They suffered the humiliation of having their Diplomats held hostage for 444 days. I remember, you know, I wasn't working in intelligence back then. I was finishing up in university. But I do remember the atmosphere and the feelings out there about of the helplessness and the shame and the sense of inability that many Americans felt about their diplomats, their citizens being held by a foreign power. And I do think that that event, that period of history has tainted American thinking to this day. I think they can't get over it. I think they have Iran on the brain. And this feeling, this sentiment, and the actions that it has led to have been singularly unhelpful in promoting peace and stopping terrorism in the Middle East and around the world. The assassination of the IRGC general of course, has led to Iranian promises to uh, seek revenge. But you, this is rhetoric. We hear it all the time. Uh, it's like a ramping up. It reminds me of a baseball game. Remember when you used to play baseball as a kid and you had to try to determine who was going to bat first. So someone took a bat out and put his, his or her fist on the handle and you put your fist on top and theirs on top. And the fist that ended up on the top of the bat was the team that batted first. This is kind of what I see Iranian-US relations like for the past 40 years. Iran does something, US vows to retaliate. US does something, Iran vows, vows to retaliate. I have no idea if Iran is going to carry out massive acts of terrorism against US targets in retaliation for the death of the IRGC general. I have noticed that the United States is evacuating all its personnel from Iraq and that other Western Euro European countries are thinking of taking similar action. So clearly there is uh, a worry, uh, perhaps intelligence that points to the possibility of terrorist attacks against those nationals in Iraq. The bottom line though, is that even if the world is a better place without Gen the IRGC general Qasem Soleimani it wasn't necessary. It's not going to help things. It's going to make things worse. 
It's going to ratchet up the rhetoric. It's going to ratchet up the action. And, and I'm thinking that Sunni Islamist terrorists are just chortling in their houses right now in the same way that I'm pretty sure bin Laden thought that it was Christmas when the Americans decided to invade Iraq in 2003 because it forced the Americans to take their eye off the ball and the, that ball was Al-Qaeda and that ball was Sunniism as terrorism and the Americans decided to go after Saddam Hussein and go after the regime that didn't have weapons of mass destruction and had no credible links to Al-Qaeda and no credible links to Islam as terrorism in the world in the 2000s. We're seeing it happen again. And so what's, what we're going to have, have to, to deal with in the weeks and months to come is we'll see a shift in focus in personnel. We'll see a shift in focus in resources. We'll see a shift in focus in intelligence collection because the Americans are going to want to make bloody sure that they're covering Iran as closely as possible to try and foil any attacks that the Iranian regime is going to plan in retribution for the killing of the IRGC general. And even if the Americans are the largest country in the world and they have a gazillion intelligence resources, I remember visiting Washington on many occasions, both the National Security Agency, which was the American equivalent of CSE where I worked, and the FBI and the CIA, and always marveling at how many people they had looking at, at the world and listening and, and, and transcribing and translating and analyzing. The fact remains they have finite resources, and those finite resources are going to be turned towards Iran and the possibility of Iranian action, which means they're not going to be looking at Sunnism as extremism. And that's the number one threat, and it has been since the 1980s, just shortly after the attack on the U.S. Embassy. That's the elephant in the room. Jihadis, Sunni, Islamist jihadists, Sunni terrorists, not Iran, not Shia terrorism. Again, Shia terrorism is an issue. I'm not denying that, but it does not deserve the attention that Sunni terrorists do. So where do we go from here? I have no idea. Uh, is, was the attack on Soleimani even legal? It probably doesn't matter. He's dead. Uh, as I said, I have no issues with military forces taking out terrorists, provided that no civilians are killed, and provided there is a, a clear and present danger. I'm not sure that was the case with Soleimani. That certainly was the case with bin Laden. It certainly was the case with Anwar al-Awlaki. The Yemeni-American was killed in a, a drone strike in Yemen, also in 2011, after bin Laden was killed in Pakistan. Where this goes from here, I have no idea. I think it might be something that, that President Trump had a particular desire to see happen. He's had it in for Iran from, since day one. He, he, he pulled the Americans out of the nuclear accord, which, and I'm no expert on nuclear power or nuclear weapons, but every expert I've ever talked to said that the, the nuclear accord that was signed between the West and Iran was the best possible accord and actually was having an impact on, our, on the Iranian nuclear industry. And yet Donald Trump decided to pull out of that because, well, he's because he's Donald Trump. I'm not feeling really good about this this morning. I, I think we're in for a lot more terrorism. And I think the terrorism is now going to multiply on different levels. And when it does that, we're going to be strained to look at it. We're not going to have the resources to dedicate to look at all the different cells in all the different countries and all the different plots. We've been doing a pretty good job on Sunnism as terrorism for, for a long time. And even there, attacks have been successful. We haven't had the, the numbers of men and women required to exhaustively look at all the different players out there. The players have now multiplied because of what happened at Baghdad International Airport with the killing of IRGC General Qasem Soleimani. This is not a good development. I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that 
this dire warning proves to be unwarranted. If I'm wrong, I will admit so, and I'll be happily wrong. Because if I'm wrong, we're not going to see an increase in terrorist attacks carried out at the direction, at the direction of Iran. I guess we'll have to wait and see. That's it for Podcast 27. Love to hear what you think. You can subscribe to all the podcasts as well as all the written material on my website, www.borealisthreatenedrisk.com. You can reach me on Gmail, borealisrisk at gmail.com, or on Twitter at borealisaves, or on LinkedIn, or on Facebook. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe. It may sound absurd, but don't be naive. Even heroes have the right to plead. I may be disturbed, but won't you concede? Even heroes.